Well, on Sunday nights, uh, it can be a little draining for me. It's sometimes been a long day, um, church and meetings afterwards, and uh, I sometimes just feel drained by the job. Sometimes I'm even discouraged by how things went uh, during the day. And it's a good thing a few weeks ago, um, I was able to be encouraged uh, by something I watched on TV. It was the Oscars, and I was encouraged by Lady Gaga in accepting her award. So here's Lady Gaga. She is accepting her Academy Award, and this is what she said in her speech. She says, if you are at home, I was like, that's me, I'm at home. And you're sitting on your couch. I'm sitting on my couch. And you're watching this right now. Man, she knows me. And she says, all I had to say is that this is hard work, holding up her award. I've worked hard for a long time. And it's not about, you know, it's not about winning. But what it's about is not giving up. If you have a dream, fight for it. There's a discipline for passion. It's not about how many times you get rejected or you fall down or you're beaten up. It's about how many times you stand up and are brave and you keep on going. I, I, I want to stand up right there. Start clapping. That's right. I can do it. I should not be discouraged. Just follow my dreams. Even if it's hard, if I just push through, that's all that matters. I can do it. I can accomplish anything. Well, you might laugh at me responding to Lady Gaga in that way. But really, that is the message of our day. Pursue your dreams, work hard, and you can do anything. Well, hear me, I'm not bashing Lady Gaga or the message of hard work. But this is what I'm wondering. Have we made this message, pursue your dreams, work as hard as you can, just go for it. Have we made that the ultimate message? Has that become the good news? Is that the gospel? And the question is, have we ingrained that message so far in us, in our very ethos, in our being? That we look at a passage like today and we superimpose that message upon Jesus. This morning, I, I want to hope to show this to you through this passage. I want to show that kingdom life is a good gift the Father wants to give us that is better than the pursuit of of our own dreams. Let me say it again. That kingdom life is a good gift that the Father wants to give us that is better than the pursuit of our own dreams. Let's hear what the Lord says in Scripture and let us weigh that idea compared to what it says there. Matthew chapter 7 Verses 7 through 12. Please pay attention as you look at God's word. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The word of the Lord. Well, if you're just joining us, uh, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount has been known as the greatest sermon ever preached. And while people might not like the Bible, this is something that they say, well, I do like this. I like the Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't have all this dogmatic stuff. It doesn't have words like atonement or propitiation or predestination. It's not Paul. And it's practical. It's how to live without all that spiritual stuff, right? This is is stuff that we can digest, stuff that we can accomplish. Well, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount for many weeks now, 10 weeks. And I hope we've realized in going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is asking some really hard stuff of us. He's not asking us simply to follow some rules, just outward behavior. Jesus, or Mount, he's after our motivations. He's after our desires. He's even after our thoughts. He's not simply making rules against murder, but he's saying, what about the anger in your heart? He's not just setting things against adultery, He's saying, how about your covetousness in desiring people that are not yours in your lustful thoughts? He's not just saying, love your friends. He's saying, love your enemies. He's not saying, just do good deeds so you look good in the community, but do good deeds so it ultimately will glorify God. He's challenging our materialism, our anxiety, our critical spirit, he just keeps going and going. And in reading the Sermon on the Mount, my response, and hopefully our, all of our responses, isn't just, oh, finally, here's the good stuff, without those big dogmatic theological words. But instead, our response is, Lord, stop. Please stop. I can't do this. You see, reading the Sermon on the Mount, we just don't go away from and say, well, if I just had more discipline, (laughs) if I just had more knowledge, if I just did these things better, I can do it. And in realizing, realize if we just try to do it our own, we will be crushed. Well, Jesus is about to start a new theme in the Sermon on the Mount, but before he gets there, before he capstones all the end of all these ethical teachings he's given us, he gives us this passage. And I think this passage is so good for us because it finally lets us catch our breath. Just breathe in. 
and realize there's grace, there's encouragement. He's given us a way to live out the Sermon on the Mount. He said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. That's, that's some good grace. <laughs> that's a good thing after hearing all of these ethical teachings that he leaves us with that. But I think many of us in church history too and in the church today, some have taken this passage the wrong way. They've taken it, cut it out of its context Slapped it onto a bumper sticker, onto your fridge, and said, oh, ask, I'll receive. Seek, I'll find. Knock, the door will be open to me. It really has become a popular passage to preach, especially if you want to grow your church really big. Because it allows you to tell people what they want to hear. In, you know, popular language, in in a witty way, they say, name it and claim it, right? That's what it's called. Take your dream, take your desires, ask God for them, and he'll give them to you. That's That's what the passage says, right? Just ask and you'll get it. I had a friend in college on his fridge he had a souped-up Land Cruiser. I was like, bro, what's with this Land Cruiser you have on your fridge, a picture of it? And he says, every day I walk by that picture, I pray in faith. God, give me that Land Cruiser. And his rationale was this passage, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Well, we not, might be as explicit as my friend, but many of us act with God in the same way. This is the blank check passage. This is the slot machine Jesus passage. Insert prayer coin. Pull lever. Out comes whatever I want. That's the way God works, right? You have to see this passage in its context. Jesus is coming at the end. He's saying this at the end of all this ethical teaching. He's saying to you, here is the treasure, the kingdom of God. Here is the treasure. And this is the way it is to live in the kingdom of God. To love your enemy. To tell the truth. To find peace, fidelity, generosity, not being anxious. This is the good life. This is the treasure. This is what you should be after. This is the beauty of the kingdom. This is what you will receive if you ask. This is what will be found if you seek. This is the door that will be open to you if you knock. So 
somehow I think this might be the most difficult step for us to understanding the passage. We have been so heavily influenced by seeking our own kingdom rather than God's kingdom in our culture. It's the DNA of our culture, of our country, really. The pursuit of happiness. We take this and we say, God, help me fulfill my dreams, my passions, what I want. Rather than seeing the treasure he has for us that he has laid out right here. Really, this passage is a prayer. It's kind of following up from earlier when Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. And what was the Lord's Prayer and what did it say? My kingdom come? Did it say that? My will be done? No, the Lord's Prayer says your kingdom come. Your will be done. I'm going to be honest. I can say these words, but in the back of my mind, there is this nagging voice. You know, his kingdom isn't very good. He's not going to get you what you really want. That's all, it's like, that's there in the back of my mind constantly. So I want to wrestle through this and hope we can wrestle through this as we look through the passage. Let's look again, shall we? Again, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. These are all present imperatives, meaning they're continuous actions. You could probably translate it this way. Keep asking. Keep searching. Keep knocking. What Jesus is telling his disciples who are gathered around him, he wants a picture of the people in his kingdom to be people that are persistent. That they don't stop. That they're beggars. That they want this kingdom and this treasure so bad that they continue to ask for it. Have you ever wanted something that bad? Come on, this is America. We've all wanted something that bad, right? And that's what Lady Gaga is talking about. If you hear her interviews, she says, I scratched, I clawed, I took that huge piano and I carried up flights of stairs so I could arrive. And that really becomes our mantra, right? If I just work hard, I keep going, I don't stop, I will get it. My question is, do we do this, are we willing to do the same thing for the kingdom of God to be active in our lives? That continuous clawing action. God, I hope that I will love the way I'm supposed to love my spouse, like you call me to in the Sermon on the Mount. God, I want to I ask and seek that I might love my enemies in the way that you've called me to. That I would tell the truth. 
that I would not simply stand in judgment over others, that I would not be a people pleaser, that I would not be anxious, do we ask and seek and knock for those things? I love the progression of those verbs. Asking, then seeking, then knocking. If we really examine them, asking is not easy, is it? It means picking up the phone to call about a job opening, right? Or to pick up the phone and call mom and dad and say, mom and dad, I'm struggling financially. Or whatever it might be. It's a lot to ask. And it's out of our comfort sometimes to ask. And then seeking. It's moving past just asking. Now it's not just asking, is there a gym membership open for a good price? It's now going into the gym and signing up for the membership and then getting on the treadmill. I mean, that's seeking. It's actually going and doing something. So you've moved from just asking now to seeking and then the last one, oh man, knocking. Has anyone here done door-to-door sales? Oh, man. I didn't do door-to-door sales, but I did door-to-door getting signatures for politicians. Oh, man. You know you're desperate when you knock on people's doors. You know you're motivated for a cause when you do that. I mean, sorry, those college painter guys have been coming to my house. Those guys are motivated, okay? They are motivated individuals to make some money in the summertime. That he would know that I, even I've said, bro, I'm not doing it. He just keeps knocking. <laughs> Sits down, we have long conversation, you know, he tells me about his dreams and his passions, right? It's a lot to knock. Do we do these things for the kingdom? When you've looked at all these passages that have been before, all these things we've talked about, do you say, I want to pursue this? My anger, I want to work on. My lack of forgiveness. My bending the truth and even breaking it at times. The lust that's in my heart. My marriage, anxiety, what I do with my money my people-pleasing, my critical spirit? Have you gone through all the Sermon on the Mount that we've gone through and you just sit in it and wallow in it? Oh man, I'm bad. I guess I'll just, just live like this. Or are you willing to start asking God about it? God, I have been reluctant to ask you to work on me in my ability to forgive someone else. God, I have been reluctant to ask you to start working on my pornography problem. God, I have been reluctant to ask you about my anger issues. And then do you start seeking? God, I want to pursue you. I want to get up in the morning 
and I want to spend time with you. I want to listen to you. I want to open your word. I want to go and be around other Christians in a community group, in church, and I want to know what they say. I want to seek after you. And then are you willing to even start knocking? Lord, this problem is so bad. I have been living in this problem for so long. If it means pleading, I will. If it means humbling myself by going door to door and knocking, I will do it. If it means going to someone and seeking counsel and laying myself bare, I'll do it because the kingdom is so good. Jesus is so good, isn't he? He doesn't lead the disciples after all this ethical teaching and say, go make it happen. Just go live this way. Go do it. No. He says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. He doesn't lead people in their wallowing. He transforms them into his likeness. This is not the before and after Weight Watchers picture, folks. Jesus isn't saying, okay, you know what? If you do all this work, then we will put your picture up in the gym, right? You got to look good in the after picture. Then we'll have you in front of everyone else, right? No, he says at the very beginning of the Sermon on blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not those who have arrived, those that hunger. And what will they get? They will be satisfied. The gospel says, you come to me, and guess what? I've already placed your picture up in the gym. I've already wrote your name in the book. But here's the thing. I'm not done with you yet. If you see at the end of verse 11, it says, now how to give good gifts to your children. Luke uses the same kind of uh, passage as he talks about the Sermon on the Mount. And he uses the idea of good gifts as being, I'm giving you the Spirit. Here's what Jesus is giving us. He's giving us the engine to help you in this process. The Holy Spirit in you. That he can say, as Paul did, he that has started a good work in you is faithful to complete it. I, I just admit, you know, that's great. But still, in the back of my mind is this nagging. Jesus, is this really going to work out for me? If I knock on this door, am I going to get rejected? Is this going to be door number one where behind it is some bad gift? And I should have gone to door number two or door number three? Is that how you work, God? Well, it's great. He answers some of the objections. Look with me. Verse 9. Or which one of you, 
And he's talking to these guys. If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. And here Jesus is starting to make an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's talking to these guys, and they can visualize these stones that might have been around that sometimes could be mistaken as pieces of bread. And it might be a a funny joke to give your kids a stone instead of a piece of bread, but a good father, if their son asks, doesn't give them stone to crunch down and break their teeth. A good father doesn't give them a snake instead of a fish so a snake will bite them. No, a good father doesn't do something like that. That's a picture of a bad parent that would do something like that. And if a somewhat decent parent, even a sinful parent who are evil, even if they give good things to those that ask them, how much more will your Father in heaven, who is infinitely greater than you, infinitely greater than your Father here, how much more will he give you good gifts? To a greater scale, not simply just food, but your future, your soul. Do you really believe God has what is best for you? And that he is seeking after what he wants for you, too. Or is your asking God work a little bit like this? God, I'm asking for a six foot three, tall, handsome guy. And that he would like Jane Austen movies. And if you give me that, I will be satisfied. Could God know the actual desires behind that request? Your desire to be wanted and needed. And might he be able to satisfy greater than that? God, I'm seeking a four-bedroom, three-bath. I'd like a nice kitchen, too, newly remodeled. And maybe a little nook, you know, for me to, to have my little office. Could God know behind that desire for comfort or for safety or for security? He can fulfill that for you, something greater that he wants to give you. Maybe you're not just asking or or seeking. Maybe you're knocking loudly. God, change my marriage. Change my spouse. But behind that knocking, God is saying, I want to change you. You know, in prayer, God many times doesn't give us exactly what we want. But sometimes he gives us more than we seek. Listen, I'll, I'll readily admit, I have bought in to the Lady Gaga inspiration speech. 
That's how I live my life most of the time. I want something, I go after it. I work super hard to make it happen. Follow my dream, and I'll get it. Follow my passion, and it's mine. It's a bummer when you start to see things that no matter how hard you work, it won't happen. One of them sits right here every Sunday. My wife. Man, I wanted her badly. And the thing is, I knew that usually the way that I go about things, I can screw it up. So maybe I should invite God into this whole process. Right? So I'm able to ask God, okay, God, this is the woman that I want. And I pray a lot about it. I seek him. I knock. And I pray things like, God, this has been long distance for like six years. Move her to Washington, D.C., where I'm living. Make sure she doesn't date other guys. Speed up this process. God did not answer any of those prayers. Four to five years of praying. Little did I know, between the age of 17 and 22, he was answering my prayers in a deeper way. Refining me in a way to be ready to marry Aaron. God knew better than me what he needed to do in me so that I would have a marriage that lasted. See, you might not just be thanking God, you shouldn't just be thanking God for answered prayers, but maybe you should thank God for unanswered prayers too. You see, a good earthly father does not just give stones instead of bread. He also doesn't give us a whole chocolate cake. No matter how frustrated we are as kids that we want the whole chocolate cake. Why can't we have the whole chocolate cake? Because it's not good for you. How much more does our Father in heaven, who is sovereign over all things and knows everything, how much more does he know better what you need than you do? You don't need the chocolate cake. It will be bad for you. I love Romans 8, 26 through 27. And this is this intercession, this thing that God is giving us, the Spirit. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. At times, we do not know what it is we really need. And we need the Spirit to intercede for us and to help us see so that we will be molded into kingdom life. 
David and I were debating who gets verse 12. Does it, fir- does it fit in my section or is it going to fit in his next section next week? And we've both decided that it fits in both of ours. And it's kind of just this outlier sometimes. How does it fit? It's an interesting place for it to be. This is uh, a passage, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. For this is the law and the prophets. This basically is an inclusio. It starts the beginning of the ethics passage and then it ends it. So it kind of fits in well. And if you have been around culture enough, you realize this is the golden rule. I've seen the golden rule in parks. I've seen the golden rule in bars. I've seen the golden rules plastered in my public school classroom in second grade. Now, there's no Bible reference with it, but it comes from Jesus. See, it's the okay okay thing to quote from Jesus, even if you don't believe in him. The do unto others as you would have them do unto you, as Luke phrases it. But the key word that is sometimes left out, is left out when it's posted publicly, is the word so, or therefore. See, he is borrowing from all the things that we have seen before. Saying the kingdom, this ethical teaching of the kingdom, it starts to get you to think the way the world should treat you and how it should be. And because of that, it should not direct you towards yourself, but it should direct you outwards to others. That's what learning about this kingdom life will do to you. And I'm looking for my page five and I can't find it. There it is. I find it kind of humorous that the golden rule is everywhere. But I guess it makes sense. In a culture that looks at itself a lot, my dreams, my needs, my self-actualization, what I can get, it would make sense that we need to push back against it a little bit. Instead of maybe, because you look at yourself so much, you should start thinking about doing something for someone else once in a while. Although it does make me start to think, in a world where we are told, don't let anyone get in the way of your dreams, right? Just go after it. Get it done. Do we really have the ability to look sacrificially to helping others? You see, the therefore and the so at the beginning is needed if we're really to understand the golden rule. It isn't some classroom rules we follow, but it's an ethic that changes us from within. See, when we start to see our receiving, our finding, the door being opened to us was done by one who ultimately took the needs of us upon the cross and laid his down his life for us. 
then we start to see what it means to truly live in that kingdom. And what really is a good gift? This is a good gift, is it not? This is one that did look to the needs of others. That went so far to go from heaven to earth to dwell among us, to take on flesh, to be persecuted by us, to be killed by us. He did that for us. So that when we ask, we will receive. When we seek, we will find. When we knock, the door will be opened to us. It's right there. It's right there for you. Have you received that good gift? Do you trust in the good news? Do you believe this is the news that we need to receive? Not just go for it on your own. Go after your dreams. Pursue what you want. Jesus is saying, guess what? I have something infinitely greater than anything you could dream of, anything you could fight for, anything you could claw for. I have myself. Listen, I I know you feel like I'm beating the drum. But I'm telling you, that message is the air we breathe in this culture. It is everywhere. And we believe it. I believe it most of the time. And Jesus, what he's saying to you is this. Please hear me. It is a lie. That message is a lie. And he has something greater for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us a wonderful treasure, your kingdom. And Lord, help that nagging in the back of our mind that says, it's not good. What we want is better. Help us to see that you have something great for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.